Hi guys, I'm Yarel Ramos. And I'm Jessica Molina. So we all have those weight hold-up moments in life, those times where our perspective shifts and our hustle changes as a result. Each week, tune in as we chat with a new guest who's on their grind and learn the pivotal moments that shape their journey. You're listening to Weight Hold Up. Today on Wade Hold Up, we're talking to Desiree Lasassier. She's the current manager of player services for the Lakers. So when Desi was 16 years old, she was a straight-A student who one day came home to tell her family she was pregnant. Desi shares her incredible story with us of how she overcame the obstacles of being a teen mom, the Wade Hold Up moment that changed the course of her life, and how she landed the opportunity to work alongside Magic Johnson and carve her way to have a successful career in sports. Then stay tuned as Jess and I dish on our Wade Hold Up moments from this week's headlines. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Yarel. And I'm Jessica. And we're back with Wait Hold Up. Today we have a very special guest. I'm so excited. <laughs> I love talking to people. Me especially too. women who like are so empowering and have such a beautiful story to share. And this story is going to be a good one. So today on the pod, we have Desiree Lasassi A. This yes, is girl. The, I got it right? You got it right. Yay! Yeah. So, um, right. <laughs> you're going to get a, a song from us. I love Desi. it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so she is a current manager of player services for the Los Angeles Lakers. That is like a really dope title to have in LA, Desi. It is. Like, it is. I'm sure I'm it really comes excited to be a part of the organization, especially and, now. And you just started with them, right? I d- I've been there two months. Oh, so Maybe a little over two. It seems like a year already. <laughs> There's so much going on. But yes, I am a newbie. Before we get to how you got this awesome role, I want to take it back. Let's take it back. Let's take it back. Um, so I was perusing Desi's Instagram and you were stalking this, her. I was yeah, listening. It's okay. <laughs> I don't mind being stalked. It, it, she's, she's fly. So it's not hard to stalk her. But anyway, so I was perusing her Instagram and there was one image that like really caught me and it was you on like a throwback picture of you, uh, at your high school graduation and you were holding your son yes. and the caption was something about how he was going to be walking the stage. And I know you just said he's a freshman at the University of Arizona. Yes. So, but that's like a really gripping image. And I want you to talk to us a little bit about that day, about the time leading up to that, and what it was like to be a woman or a girl really graduating from high school with a son. Yes, absolutely. So um, that picture was very special to me, and I definitely wanted to share. Um, as you know, a social platform could... Uh, is an opportunity to share those type of experiences and stories. And you, um, people only see what you put out there. So a lot of people may not have known that. Um, but I did have my son as a junior in high school. And he is currently, um, as mentioned, a freshman at the University of Arizona, which I'm very, very proud of him. Um, but it was definitely a very, very challenging time for me. Um, definitely wasn't part of my life's plans. Um, but, you know, I just kind of took the punches as they came. And so I, again, got pregnant in my junior year and was just determined, determined to still graduate on time, determined to have this child and make it. Not really sure what I was going to do. Um, My family wasn't really happy um, with me being pregnant so young. And aside from the family part, which is which is also fair to mention, you're in high school. High school is hard as it is. You know, being a girl in high school is hard as it is. And 
you know, you're up against what, you know, how high school girls are very catty and then you come pregnant. So everybody's talking about you and my boyfriend didn't go to that school. So then all these rumors get started about like who you're pregnant by, who the baby daddy is, right. like all of these. So you're up against all of those challenges as well as still trying to maintain your grades and still trying to stay afloat. Um, rewinding a little bit. I was always top of my class, a very straight A student. My mom was in education. So always had to live up to this high expectation. And so me being pregnant was a blow right. um, to me, again, to my family. And my support system wasn't as strong as I would, hoped it would be. Mm -hmm. um, my mom wasn't happy with me at all. And she wasn't supportive of my decision to keep the baby. Um, and so all I really had was my dad was very supportive of me. And I have an aunt, Bunny, who uh, passed away shortly after I gave birth to my son. But her and my dad were the reasons that I made it past that moment and made it to where I am now. Right. Um, they were very supportive. I was giving the girls a little bit of my background and kind of just dove into my story. But just to throw this out there, um, my mom was super upset with me. And she said, you know, if you want to have this baby, then and you want to be grown, then you figure it out on your own. She took me off of her insurance. She stopped taking me to school. Um, she stopped speaking to me. So it left me in the position to really have to figure things out on my own. And I mean, I didn't even know my social security number. So I was really one of those kids that I really just went to school, got good grades, and my parents took care of me. And um, my mom left me there to literally figure it out on my own. So my dad was like, all right, well, we'll figure it out. So he went with me down to the county building. I got some county aid. I got food stamps. And I had to start from scratch. I had to get myself to school. I literally had to, like, figure absolutely everything out, you know, Um there's a lot of mental toughness in that. And I think at the age, so you were 16 years old. When I you were was pregnant? 16, yeah. So at that age, had you been, and I know that you had mentioned you were a straight A student and had lived a bit of a sheltered life. So had you ever had to be so mentally tough and were you already a mentally tough person or was that something that you just started developing at that moment in time? I think that I was mentally tough, but... I hadn't yet tapped into that. So I feel like that experience allowed me to tap into that and figure out that I was actually stronger than I was. You know, when you come up or in general, like if you have somebody like a crutch or like training wheels, you ride a bike with training wheels and you're good because you know that you have that support. The minute you take the training wheels off, you're scared until you actually take off on that bike. And you're like, oh, shit, I'm riding like it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to mm -hmm. be, you know. And so when you have those crutches in life in general, you know, you get comfortable with that. And so it's not sometimes until those those training reels are removed or, you know, the the crutch is gone and you have to walk on your own and you actually start walking on your own just fine that, you know, you realize how how mentally strong you are and physically strong you are to endure those types of things. And it just became motivation to continue to do that. You know, so once I figured out like, oh, OK, I got my own insurance. I got myself to the doctor. I got myself to school just fine. I was maintaining my grades. I didn't give a damn about what they were saying about me at school because my priorities and my focus shifted, you know, so it wasn't so much about being like the cool, cool cute girl at school anymore. It was really about like I need to keep these grades maintained because I still want to go to college. I still want to graduate and just to go defy the odds, you know, like I'm going to make my mom proud of me again. Understand now as a parent how disappointing things can be, you know, things that your kids do could um, 
hurt you. But um, I just, again, use that as motivation to be a better person and, again, to defy all odds and to prove to everyone that doubted me that I could actually do this. Right. And then you went on to, to college. I did. I graduated. Um, so I had my son after junior year. I had him that summer. And then I went back to school that fall. And I graduated with my class. And then I went on to Loyola Marymount. And Which I is again an amazing yeah, school. graduated with my class. So I didn't want to miss a beat. I wanted to continue to do everything that I had set out to do and graduate with the people that I came, you know, came up with. And, um, again, use that as my motivating tool. Uh there were plenty of times that I wanted to drop out and I didn't. Um, funny story is that as a junior at Loyola Marymount, I got pregnant again. So <laughs> funny now, <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> not funny. Time. Then I was like, some about the water during junior year, just, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I got pregnant again in junior year, same baby daddy. Yes. In case anybody is wondering, <laughs> <laughs> but he was like my high school sweetheart. And, um, we so were, he was with you throughout all this time. Then he you was guys with were together. Yeah, we were together. He, I met him. He, he was like the little star quarterback at, you know, for when you, I was a cheerleader for Pop Warner football and he played for the football team. And then, so that's where we met. So he was my first real boyfriend. Honestly, I was wow. about maybe 14 and, um, he was my first boyfriend and then, um, you know, things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we were together. Yes, we were together this whole time. Uh, by the time I got pregnant the second time, we were already, we were li- moved out, living together. And um, so baby number two, again, it's kind of same situation. This time around, I didn't tell anybody. Uh, I just decided to have the baby and I was still in school again, living on my own. And I just didn't need the stress and the pressure of everyone's opinions and, it was challenging enough the first time around and it was kind of hard as it was to be in college with a toddler and I was an accounting major then I wasn't really sure if that's what I wanted to do so you're still like just think of like a typical college student you have some kids like my son right now he's undecided he has no idea what he wants to do at his age I already had a kid and I felt like I needed to have it figured out right you didn't have time to have these questions yeah so I felt like I needed to know what it is that I wanted to do I had to have it figured out like I had to have my ducks in a row uh so I was going to school I had a part-time job I worked at a bank I've always had like a, a financial background so again I was an accounting major when I got pregnant in college I couldn't keep up with accounting um and so I switched majors which set me back. So now I was able to switch majors. I wanted to still graduate on time again. It set me back. So I'm like back behind like three classes now. I finished junior year and well, before I finish. So first day of finals, junior year. So I'm a junior at Loyola Marymount. have a three-year-old son. And first day of finals is on a Monday been studying all weekend you know I'm ready like I'm gonna go in knock these finals out the baby was due the following week so I was just like I'm you know hanging on by a thread this is all working out perfectly gonna take my finals then I'm gonna have the baby and then I'm gonna go back finish senior year and I'll be done you know so studying all weekend Monday morning 1 a.m my water breaks and I was like you have got to be shitting me and so water breaks and I just remember calling my mom 
at this time. And so I'm like jumping stories. And so, of course, my mom and I like, of course, salvage our relationship and everything was fine. She was just upset and didn't know how to handle that situation. So water breaks and I call my mom and I was just like, oh, my God, my water broke. And she's all excited. And I'm like, this is terrible. (laughs) I have finals at 8 a.m. And like, oh, my God, like this is awful, you know. So we go to the hospital, and I have the baby at 5 a.m. So I'm thinking, like, oh, cool. I can make it. No. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I can make it. Like, it's fine. He'll be good, you know? Oh, my God. I'll be gone a few hours. Like, it'll be fine. And they're like, you can't, you know, you have to stay in the hospital for whatever, two days. And I just think I was so focused on, I just wanted to take these finals and finish the year because it was, I was so stressed out, and I just was, I barely made it as it was just being pregnant is hard in itself. Yeah. And then trying to go to school and then a toddler and I was 20. Oh my God. You know, so I just, I'm feeling so unaccomplished. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was no, just totally. a lot. Like, what just, have I done with my no, life? Please. <laughs> and, um, so I had the baby and I wanted to just go to school, you know, emailing my teachers like, um, you know, I'm not going to make it blah, blah, blah. Long story short, The university told me that if I did not come in to take my finals during finals week, that I would have to withdraw the entire semester. Stop. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, that, like I said, that was discouraging and I just, it wasn't like I'm sick. It's like, I had just had like a baby, you know, and I can't make it. So I got released from the hospital on, um, like a Wednesday morning. I left the hospital and I went to school. My mom took the baby and I went and I finished all of my finals in one day. And so I was able to oh close out the God. year. Yeah. I mean, well, I look at it like this. You know, everybody was like, around. you're going to leave your baby. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm going to sacrifice this. What? I was going five, six hours, hours, you know, to withdraw an entire semester. Like, no, the, the baby will be fine for six hours, yeah. you know, and I'm not going to redo an entire semester. And I've put in like all of this work. Right. All of these late nights, all of this stress and nights staying up crying, wondering how I was going to make it through. And I'm not going to let anybody take that from me. And so I made that small sacrifice in order to, you know, for the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. So I was able to. I can cl- just picture like, you know, like any mom that it's coming is coming out of a, a hospital tired and like exhausted and like. And here's comes Desi. She's like, I need to go take my finals. Yeah, you know? no, I'm going to take so my finals. Awesome. Because so my brain wouldn't even be operating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't know how I did on the finals, right. but I passed. <laughs> That's all Good. that matters. Right. So, I'm, I mean, the name of the podcast is Wait, Hold Up. And we're looking at that right now as what was that moment in your life? And I feel like just hearing part of your story right now, you've had multiple moments. But that moment for you or and, and however you want that to to however you want to describe that, whether it's in your relationships or in your your mind or your work ethic, but that moment for you where you said to yourself, I'm not going to allow myself to go down the path that a lot of, you know, young moms can go down when they don't have the support system that they really need. Because, well, okay, well, when I got pregnant, my hold-up moment was when my mom particularly was just like, you know, this path is going to lead you to not be shit. And I was like, mm. you know, like that's not like necessarily it's make true. You not finish high school. Yeah. Like it's like she the, just saw like all, she saw red, you yeah. know, like 
Yeah, exactly. And again, she was an educator, so she She, saw it firsthand, like what, you know, where this could possibly lead. And that just wasn't me. And I was just like, no, that's not who I'm going to be. You know, like I'll this this is definitely a setback, but I'm not going to let that break me down. And, you know, I'm not going to be that statistic. And so, again, I just use that to first my first goal was to, you know, finish my year. And I just set like smaller goals. I had a larger goal in mind, but I feel like if you just set out to accomplish the small things first, it'll lead you to that bigger goal. And so that's what I had to learn to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, you want to, ultimately everybody wants to, you know, you have this big dream of what, let's just say hypothetically, the big house and the cars or, you know, me, I wanted my kids to have a backyard with a pool, you know? And so that was my big goal. But in order to accomplish those things, people like to just dive and try to just make it straight to like the bigger picture. But you have to jump those small hurdles in order to get there. And of course, I didn't realize that at the time. But even now, as a, an adult with two damn near grown kids, you know, there's still small hurdles that I have to jump, especially in the sports world. You know, being a woman in the sports world, you're going to continuously jump those hurdles. And there's glass ceilings that you're going to have to break. There's walls that you're going to have to run through. And I feel like that experience of me being pregnant so young twice um, and, you know, um, the struggle that I had with the relationship with my mother and all of those things that I didn't understand at the time, kind of like those why me moments, like, why is this happening to me? Like, I'm, I feel like I'm a good person. Like I go to school, I get straight A's. Like what more do you want from me type deal? You know, Mm -hmm. um, all of those things helped me to be who I am today, you know, to withstand these, uh, the oppositions that I may have at work. Um, to, again, I like to use the the term to defy all odds because that's what I feel like I do, whether I notice that I'm doing it to, you know, notice that I'm doing it or not. I feel like sometimes we as women in general don't give ourselves enough credit for the things that we go through, the things that we accomplish. It's kind of like never enough because you're not really seen as equal in some, some cases. And so we always have to do 10 times more than the next person would have to do a woman, a minority woman, you have to do more than the next person is going to have to do, you know, um, to be valued as an equal, to be looked at the same. So, so do you get angry about that or do you just use that for fuel? I use it for fuel. I mean, it's no point in getting angry at it anymore. I think when I was younger, I would get angry a lot, you know, and there, again, it's just being younger, a lot more immature. And then it's also, and I may be jumping around, so uh, just reel me back in if I'm like, <laughs> you know, um, diving too far off the deep end. But it's also who you surround yourself with. And I didn't learn that until I was older, too. Yeah. You know, um, when I was younger, I was with a certain crowd. And it, even after I had my first son, you know, I'm still kind of running with a certain crowd. And then you start learning that, like, your visions don't align or your goals don't align anymore with like my friends that were my friends in high school. And there's no love loss. It's just that, you know, I'm a mom now and I just can't do these things and I need to do, you know, you guys are doing a, B and C and I need to do like X, Y, and Z in order to get to where it is that I need to go because, and it's okay to like break away from people and outgrow people and to do what you have to do to get to where you want to go. You know, if I would have stayed on hanging out with the same friends that I was with in high school, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have been able to get my son where he is today. 
you know, and so I feel the same even as an adult. When your dreams change and you're, you want to achieve certain things, like, you may have to let people go. Everybody can't go on the same journey with you. Right. There's not enough room on the bus. Nope. That's true, for sure. And we're talking about where you are today, and let's let's explore that a little bit. So after college, uh, what did what did you end up? You changed your major. So what did you change it to? I and, changed. Yeah. And and where did that lead you? So I changed my major because I couldn't keep up. Right. And I didn't want to fail out. Um, and it absolutely it turned out to be the best thing for me, which kind of brings up another light bulb is like when things happen that you don't understand and you kind of just roll with the flow and just allow God to do what it is that he's trying to do in your life. And you just sit back and, you know, be still, um, you'll ultimately see why that, why that happened. So these are Desi gems. Desi gems. You guys are Hashtag. all dropping them. Right. Um, but, you know, at the time I'm thinking like, well, damn, I'm going to switch majors. I'm going to be two, whatever I was, two or three classes behind, um, which caused me I walked the stage, but I had to go back to summer school. So that's another thing. Like, as long as you get your degree, or if that's what your goal is to do, it does not matter how you have to get it. Like, I walked the stage, but I didn't get my piece of paper like everybody else. I had to go back to summer school, which I was totally fine with. And ultimately, I have my degree on the wall in a frame, you know? But at the time, it just seemed like such a major blow. Like, if I switch my major, I'm either going to flunk out or I'm going to switch my major and be behind. So it was like one of the two, you know? Um, and so I switched to business administration with the emphasis in management, and it allowed me to study international business, accounting, management. Finance. Fine, ev- everything. Like, absolutely everything wow. in which I was able to apply you know, more of that into my professional career. So it ended up working out great for me. How did you, how did you, um, going a little bit to where you're at now, how did you end up in sports and like the sports world? Um, so I ended up in sports, which actually was good for me because I did grow up in a sports home. So that worked out for me, but, um, I got there because I've been, I was with Magic Johnson Enterprises. And at the time, I think I was maybe there four years or so. Um, and so I was there as an assistant in Magic's uh, business development side. And so when he acquired the Dodgers, he asked me if I wanted to go over, you know, and work with him at the Dodgers. And so, I mean, naturally, I I said, absolutely, yes, you know. And that was like my dad's dream. He is just like the biggest Dodger fan, grew up in L.A., and I felt like I took the job for him. Like yeah. this is <laughs> the things we do to we make our exactly. fathers cry. Right? Especially my dad rolled with me through the trenches. Yeah. So I mean, if this what a way to give back. If to him, I right? could just the smile that I was able to see on his face from being able to bring him into the stadium and give him some seats that he's never sat in before, you know, just that experience alone just made it all worth it for me. You know, oh, he just beautiful. helped me through. He he saved me. You know, like I don't I don't know where people need support, period. And there's some people out there that did it without the had kids and did it without the support of their parents or whatever. And I really commend those people because, again, I didn't have it as worse as I've as some people out there really do have it, you know. But um, I was in the position I felt like to be able to give back to my dad in a way that is beyond financial or, you know, Anything like that. People always dream of like, you know, taking care of your parents, but you're able to like take care of people and give back in other ways that aren't, you know, monetary. Yeah. Um, and you do things that are priceless. And so um, 
of course, took the job and I went over to the Dodgers as assistant to Magic Johnson, which is, you know, a huge role, especially in a I'm new to the sports world. Uh, he's new to the Well, he's not new to the sports world, but he was new to baseball as an owner. This is his first time, you know, owning a professional sports team. So it was just a lot of change happening within the organization. It was a huge investment for him. It was a big job for me. Um, and there was a lot of expectations. And, you know, I had to really live up to a high standard. And um, from there, I was able to expand my role within the organization. I was there for five years. I worked in the community relations department. Then I went over to the marketing department. And so titles are important, yes, but it's also the the impact that you had on the organization and more so what I was able to do in the community meant a lot for me. So everybody knows that Magic Johnson is like huge in the community, yeah. huge in community empowerment. And um, we were able to take that and apply it towards, you know, the Dodgers. And just from a personal perspective, you know, I want to give back, even if it's like dropping gems, you know, and I could give back in that way. I just feel like I would have been able to not, not do more per se, but maybe been a little bit more knowledgeable had I had access to certain resources mm. or people. I think that having mentors are important or I don't or know. even like kids that are exposed to new things. Exactly. Things you just don't know. Do you don't know. Right. Yeah. And so, for instance, in the community relations department at the Dodgers, I was able to um, develop and implement this program. It was called Kids for Dodgers Baseball. And what it was able to do is we were allowing, I mean, people, sports organizations give tickets away you know, bring communities in. But sometimes these communities don't have access to transportation or you give tickets to a family and they don't have means to get to the stadium or once they get to the stadium, they can't afford the concession food yeah. or, you know, so the program that I developed at the Dodgers was um, a robust program that gave not only tickets, but provided charter bus transportation to and from the, uh, to and from the stadium, provided them with the t-shirt meal vouchers so that they can, you know, buy food from the concession stand just to give them a full experience. Yeah. And they were able to just go and enjoy and not really go and not be able to afford certain things. Or as a parent, I know what it means to be able to like give your kids the world. And if that little bit was able to like help a child or help a family have a family outing, then, you know, that was satisfying to me because there were times where I wasn't able to take my kids to the circus you know, and mm -hmm. I wish that I was able to take my kids to, you know, something as simple as a circus or a carnival down the street. Like, yes, now I'm in the position where I'm able to do those things and more. But as a young mom, I, there were times where I wasn't able to provide those type of opportunities and experiences to my kids. And so that was really like the motivation behind the program. And so the first year that the program actually rolled out, we were able to serve 15,000 families. Wow, that's amazing. What? Yeah. So, so awesome. um, that was very, very satisfying for me. Again, when I was in high school, I'm sorry, not high school. When I was in college, I worked for, I was at Bank Teller. So to go from like a bank teller and, I, and again, remember I was an accounting major. So I thought I was just going to be like this financial girl and that's just not where my path led me, you know, so I would have never thought that I would be working in sports at all. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm glad that I am and I'm very happy to be here. Um, and so in my current role with the Lakers, 
I'm able to take some of those practices, but now applying them in a different vein and working with the athletes directly and more of like a, a um, player development type capacity. Just to be in this position, I would have never thought that it, I would be in that type of a position, but I'm definitely um, going to do the best that I can, you know, and not take it lightly. I well, feel I like I'm here for a reason. Doing. I, know. They, I think that no one can look at your or hear your story and, and look at your work and think, damn, Desi, you ain't been doing too much. Like, <laughs> you've absolutely, and right. I, I think it's a testament to the fact that Magic constantly wants to bring you wherever he's going. And, right. You know, that to continue yeah. to work with him. What Was it, you know, going back um, to him too and like this weight, what 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 has been the biggest lesson? Because he's, he's such a prominent figure here in LA and in the sports world, like he is Magic Johnson. Right. You know, um, what was your weight hold up moment with him? That he's a person like the rest of us you know um and i've got to know him i've gotten to know him outside of like the magic johnson public figure that he is and he really is that person like that smile that you see and like th- those gems that he drops like that's really him but as a boss like he aims for excellence he's about no excuses he holds you to a high standard and again he has definitely helped mold me into the professional that I am today. Like he's never late. He's on time to all of his engagements. Um, he's prepared. He over delivers. Like all of those things are instilled in me and all of his other, you know, employees, especially the ones that worked directly with him at Magic Johnson Enterprises. You know, that is how, how he developed us. And you take those experience. I took that too into the Dodgers organization and they were like, you know, it's kind of like a culture shock for them because I came on a whole different level than what they were used to operating. And they adapted those principles too. And so I was able to make change or, you know, all credit, credit to him too, but we were able to make that change at the Dodgers organization. And so he's taken that now as president of basketball operations and like remolding that whole department now at the Lakers with the player on the court and in the office. That's really awesome. Right. Yeah. So now, just to, to wrap up, uh, I think we've talked about your weight holds up moment in like earlier on in your life. And I really want to know if you've had one recently where you look at what you've accomplished. You've just had a big transition moment with sending your ch- firstborn off to college. Have you been able to sit back and be like, this is my life. Like I've created something that not a lot of people can create. Yes. So my weight, my most recent weight hold up moment was exactly that. You know, everybody was asking me, like, how do you feel dropping your son off at school? I thought it was going to be like this terrifying. I'm going to be crying and I'm going to hold him and not want to let him go and that whole thing. And I felt like that. Like I did, of course, didn't want to leave him. But he was so confident and so ready and well prepared that it made me feel like I really in that moment felt like I did my job. I'm a good mom. Like I did my job, like regardless of all the crooked paths that led to this moment, like in this moment is when I felt like I did my job as a parent and I did right by him. You know, I taught him what I needed to teach him. Um, I developed him into a great, strong young man. He's ready to move out of state, even though he's not far, he's in Arizona, but he's ready to be away from us and to take on this new challenge in, in this new chapter in his life. And it wasn't a sad moment. It was joyous because it was like, oh, my God, like we made it here and he's 
ready to do it, you know, like he's prepared for this moment. So I was able to walk away comfortable knowing that he's going to be fine. He's going to be just fine. And, you know, I didn't mention, uh, talk a lot about my youngest son, Dylan, but he's a freshman in high school. So he's taken on another chapter of his life too. And this is allowing us that opportunity to have our special mom son bond and help him navigate through high school. And now it's my job to help him find his way. You know, he's now trying to figure out what it is that he wants to do and what path and direction he wants to go. And so I get to do it all over again, you know, and no two kids are the same. No two women are the same. No two people are the same, you know? So even though I did it once, with my older son, it's kind of like I get another opportunity to do it again with a totally different brain and yeah. he has different interests. And so now we got to help him figure that part out. And so I look forward to that wait, hold up moment with him when I send him off and I feel just as confident with him as I did the first time. That's amazing. I feel like so inspired. Oh, my Busy. gosh. I'm like amazed. I think I have chills right yeah. now. Stop. And I'm glad that you shared this with us because I know there's a lot of women that listen to our podcast and that you know want to look up to to women that they can relate to because they've gone through these experiences you know i i recently saw a a friend of mine and she was telling me she she was saying like her niece you know got pregnant and we this niece was like oh my gosh like her sweet 16 was insane like she was a she was like according to her it's like super privileged my niece was given everything and it, it was like oh my god what are we gonna do yeah like such a shock yeah and the dad and, and issues with like the boyfriend had another girlfriend like you know one of those oh stories gosh. that you're just I like don't know, like, oh, i didn't even get into all that yeah. i mean you and know after even... after i graduated college i mean far before all of that when, when i got pregnant with my second son like my our relationship was completely over and so by the time I graduated school, it was just like, look, I just need to graduate. And then I'm out of this relationship because it was just not healthy, you know. And so that relationship ended literally the day of graduation. I was oh done, you know. Um, and so I was a single parent from yeah. there on out. So, if, you know, you still have like, again, there's I could sit here and talk to you guys about my stories for hours and hours, you know. Um, but, yes, it's a, such a curveball. You know, and to your friend's niece, it is like she'll be able to survive the moment. It feels like you're not like I'm not going to survive this. It almost feels like you're going to die. Like, how am I about Mm -hmm. to like live past this moment? That is literally how I felt, you know. And again, I just take it back to the training wheel thing. You know, you think when you learn to ride a bike or any any kind of fear that you may have, you know, once you take the step to conquer that and then you actually do it, you empower yourself. And I just feel like that's what a lot of people fail to realize. It's like, yes, you can be empowered from other people and you can be motivated by others, but you can really empower and motivate yourself if you just take a chance on yourself. And that's all I really ask of my kids, of people in general. Just take a chance on yourself. Bet on you. If you don't bet on you, nobody is going to bet on you. If I wasn't confident in the work that I could do and in the stuff that I was capable of, magic won't keep bringing me along. Right. on his journey and trusting me to be a part of everything new that he's experiencing as well, you know? And so to that point, you know, you have to believe in yourself and believe in what it is and believe in your dreams, everything that you want to accomplish, the road is going to be choppy getting there. But if that's where you ultimately want to go, you could get there and you just have to take the blows along the way. Bet on you. 
I love it. That's the perfect way to end this episode. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Desi. Make sure thank to you. follow her on Instagram on her social. Desi uh, underscore Bell. Bell. B-E-L-L-E. Yes. Awesome. I'll drop some throwbacks of these kids for you guys. Oh, yes, <laughs> some Desi gems, please. I know, exactly. Awesome. Thank, thank you, you for having me. How inspiring was Desi? I loved her. I feel like I haven't done anything with my life. Oh my god! Like gosh. first, I need to stop popping some kids because you know I'm getting <laughs> right, old. You just said popping some. Kids. I'm getting old. Popping out some kids. You're yeah. gonna start popping kids but across popping the face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes I do want to do that. That's, that's another that's story. Fear. I know. No, honestly, I think um, there's something about people who don't allow their circumstance to dictate their life and don't make excuses for themselves. And she's the perfect example of that. And. Speaking of not making excuses, let's talk about somebody who makes a lot of excuses for himself in our wait, hold up moment of the week. This is one that we kind of together jointly. (laughs) Like there's just no other moment moment that can top this one. Nope. Take it away, Jess. Basically, we all know about what's going on in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico has been devastated by Hurricane Maria. Currently, 95% of the island is without power. 50% have no access to running water. 11% of cell phone towers are functioning. There is a humanitarian crisis happening right now. There there have been some items that have been sent, but just getting them distributed to the 3.4 million residents on the island has been a very big challenge. So this week, the mayor of San Juan, Carmen Yulín Cruz, basically put out her SOS to anyone who would listen, particularly the president of the United States, and say, listen, I need you to appoint a leader here. And actually, I was listening to something from Anderson Cooper, uh, that he, a report that he did over the weekend, which he did say a lot of the first responders have said that it's very effed up because they've been sitting around because no one has been telling them where to go, where to distribute services, where to be helpful. And so her, her response to the president was basically, this is not a good news story send somebody to help us or put put someone in charge and in control because this is a people are dying story and this can only get worse. And she even showed the, the notebooks to like, here, FEMA, I, we've given you all the information. Mm-hmm. Here's Here are the grids. Here are the streets. Here are the facts. Here are, here's the information on the people that live on the island. Here you go. Here's the proof to show that, listen, we've been, we've been, we've been working alongside with you to make this happen right so what you know what's going on so she said this on friday on saturday morning donald trump tweets the mayor of san juan who was very complimentary only a few days ago has now been told by the democrats that you must be nasty to trump such poor leadership ability by the mayor of san juan and others in puerto rico who are not able to get their workers to help they want everything to be done for them when it should be a community effort 10,000 federal workers now on island doing a fantastic job. So Donald Trump hasn't said much about Puerto Rico. He spent last weekend, after the island had been devastated, tweeting about NFL players needing to stand. Then when he did finally bring up the island, six days later, he first brought up the debt that Puerto Rico is in. And now his response to uh, a mayor who's on the ground working directly with her people is, you just want everything to be done for you. Yeah. The absurdity and the inhumanity that lie in that sentence were so disconcerting that I literally, unfortunately, was one of the first things I read on Saturday 
when I was awake in bed and I'm trying not to use my phone, but I did and I was reading these news and I just felt so overwhelmed and frustrated because I feel like every single time that I think that Donald Trump cannot get any more cruel or worse, he outdoes himself. And I'm also so disheartened that there are still so many people that are jumping to his defense. It's insane. Right. And yeah. and if and if we look at this as as these are brown, we can't help but say but eliminate the fact that these are brown Spanish speaking majority people and wonder why the response to help American citizens has been so delayed. I think that's I think that's the problem with everything because I've been in arguments with a lot of people you know, questioning when I posted about her and saying, you know, it's admirable what she's been doing, like all the photos of her um, crying and saying, and literally saying, I mean, that press conference when she's oh like, God, so when she's like, guys, help someone help us out because you don't understand what it is that we're going through. And just, I mean, not only the, the, the bravery of like what she's doing and being, she's like, I mean, I was reading, she's sleeping like not even in a home either. She's even like on the street with people. She's like all these, all these, all these images. I mean, I, for me as a woman and mm-hmm. as as someone who's in politics, that I know how hard it must have been to even for her to even be there. It's like, ah, oh, it's so brave of her. So I've been getting in all these ar- arguments with people, but it's like they don't understand that Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory. Right. So Puerto Ricans have an American. Like, why is it? Why wasn't the respond? to Puerto Rico, the same respond that we had to Harvey, mm-hmm. that we had to Irma the, in, in, the, in Florida. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the idea. Is, is, is Puerto Rico and Maria the, the crisis of what Katrina was to Bush? I'm like, but, the, the, but this is on another level because he should have been on it the day that all this was happening. Right. He should have gone to Puerto Rico f- Two weeks ago. Right. The fact that he's two just weeks going ago. To, on it's just Tuesday like, don't, like, don't, why go now? We know what's going on now. And yet, all of us are trying to gather whatever we can to help. Um, and then I, I think that's what people don't understand. It's like, well, you know, yeah, like we've been sending money, we've been donating. It's like, how do you think they're going to get donations from San Juan to Ponce when there aren't any roads that, are, right. that people are going to be able to use? How do you think people are going to communicate to know how many individuals need medical help in Ponce, in Santurce, in in Vieques, or whatever it is, when we're limited in uh, even cell phone reception? Right. It's like there's all these other things that the federal government needs to help with before all this stuff that we're doing on the ground, on on you know, on the side, even becomes you know, priority to them there. This idea that the the people in Puerto Rico have not come together as a community and make things happen. And every single reporter who Donald Trump, dis- di- Donald Trump discredits when he calls them fake news, but every single reporter who's been on the ground has basically been said, to say that these communities are not galvanizing and moving together is completely false. And Absolutely. also it's slanderous. Like, it's just ridiculous. But the fact that you're going to use this time when a woman was begging for her individuals and basically saying I need you to step as being a step up as a leader which is not false information exactly and to then use that to try and make this a moment of like I'm getting picked on and they're not doing anything and it's not me it's just like I'm so so sick of hearing people 
defend Donald Trump. And I'm just so I'm like, what have we what where have we gotten in this world if a humanitarian crisis is happening to I mean, to anyone, but to particularly to American citizens. And we and there are people who find a way to say that the president insulting them and their efforts to rebuild, saying that they want everything done for them. How is that defendable? Right. And and going back to, I mean, I agree with you. It's like, this is like such, like how low can we go? Right. Like how, what, what is it going to take for people to just wake up and realize what his remarks mean, what they create, what, I mean, just, when it comes to any topic, but this one in particular, even going back to what you say, these are Latinos and these are brown people. Mm-hmm. So maybe he doesn't give a damn about them. I have a friend, Adrian Carrasquillo, who works for BuzzFeed and covers the White House, and he posted this about uh, Puerto Rico. And I thought it was just exactly what you mentioned about being informed and the people on the island. The story of Puerto Rico, of the Puerto Rico crisis, is one of a federal government that is finding it. It was slow to act on specific things it could have done to help the island much earlier and that will continue to be reported in the coming weeks. But it's also a story of the incredible Puerto Rican people who have mm-hmm. shared phones and contacted loved ones for each other, are cooking for and shuttling supplies to each other, and are keeping everyone together despite their hardships it's inspiring and it's humbling and he's like and yeah and all these latino reporters in puerto rico and he listed all of them he's like who are there like literally without a lot of means either but who are covering the story and are sharing what's happening and i'm like and i'm like mic drop that's exactly what i needed to see yeah in here it is i mean it is a moment where you do get to see what we're made of as as humans and I think that we already know what Trump is made of, caca. And we've yeah. been able to see what a lot of other people are made of. And that is beautiful. From tragic situations, we all we see the worst in people, but yeah. we also see the best in people. That's true. And it's, it's super admirable. Like just what every Boricua is doing out there, even who are not, but are joining the cause and realizing that it's like, listen, if our governments are at fault, you know, it's up to us to like step in at some regard. We have to hold them accountable, yes, and we will. We, elections, we will hold them accountable. And yes. we will not remember. I mean, we will not forget. We will not remember. What did I say? <laughs> no, we will not. You said we will not remember, but we will. Well, we will not. <laughs> We, we will, will not definitely forget. remember. Yes, we will definitely remember and we will not forget. I don't know how many times we need to be told that black and brown people do not matter to this administration. This is that moment right now. And we need to remember that in 2018 when we're voting for Congress and our senators and the same for 2020 because we're we're just fooling ourselves. And I know I'm Puerto Rican. I know I have aunts and uncles and some cousins who voted for Donald Trump. And I hope that they are disgusted with themselves right now. Yeah. So that is our weight holds up moment of the week, y'all. Ah, yes. And And please, like, help out, you know, all these organizations that are doing amazing things. Thank you to everybody who supported um, the small initiative that we were doing this week. And that helped us out. Um, But, you know, I, I urge everybody, there's... Juan Luis Guerra said, I must, I must placer, I must, I must placer in, in dar que en recibir, like he said it's in so the video. True. And it's so true. Um, you know, don't skip on that, skip on that cappuccino, soy latte, caramel, 
whatever sprinkles <laughs> glitter <laughs> that you're gonna exactly. have today and or maybe for the month and send those twenty dollars you know yeah and help all these causes and all these people or clean out your pantry Every and little and, bit helps. and take it to like a, a, a place that's you know collecting uh things to send to puerto rico i mean it's right now where again the best of us should uh, the best in us needs to come out and help our brothers and our sisters yeah and i think um because i know i've been very hesitant about wanting to send any goods but i feel like title they've really stepped up and so look in and google title puerto rico relief because they have like an amazon wish list and oh. jay-z is has like chartered his like some planes Amazing. to drop things off there Amazing. so then you don't have to worry about burdening an organization that's like oh it's really expensive to like transport this stuff to puerto rico and so we just want to thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We hope you were super inspired by Desi because I know that we definitely yes. both were. Continue to make your voices heard when you're outraged. Catch those way hold up moments and don't be afraid to talk about them. And make sure to subscribe. Subscribe. Please leave us a review and let us know what you love. Let us know what you want to hear more of. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Wait Hold Up Pod. We'll see you guys next week. See ya. Bye.